0: Hello and welcome to the Sioux Nation podcast. I'm your Sioux Nation Ag Center staff host, Jill Funky, and Dr. Renato Schmidt is joining us again today to tell us everything we need to know about inoculant. He grew up in Brazil and has a dairy and beef background from his family farm. Dr. Renato came to the U.S. to pursue his doctorate and moved to Wisconsin to work as forage product specialist at Lolliman Animal Nutrition. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Renato.
1: Thank you, Jill, and the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for the invitation and for this opportunity to talk about silage inoculants.
0: Well, we're glad to have you because in 2021, you joined us to talk about proper silage storage. And for our listeners, that episode can be found on the resources section of our website, suenationeg.com. And I would encourage listeners to do so if they haven't had that opportunity. But for now, let's talk inoculant. So, Renata, what is the importance of using an inoculant?
1: Well, um, I think a microbial inoculant has one of like four legs of a chair, so we have to think of proper moisture content of the forest crop to be ensiled, as well as there should be enough sugars for the fermentation, and we talk about uh, anaerobic fermentation, so we need, you know, to get rid of air, so we need anaerobic conditions. And the inoculant will be another part of these, you know, four items because it will just make this fermentation more efficient. And we all know that insulin is a natural process, but then in the end of the day, the dominant microbial population will dictate the fermentation, you know, regardless if it's a good population of microbes or bad.
0: Sure. So for our listeners, it's going to help reduce dry matter losses, improve feed value, optimize feed intake, and really lower health risk for livestock. So saying all of that, can you tell me about the types of inoculants available?
1: Basically, there are two types of uh, microbial inoculants, and they work in two distinct phases of the insulin process. So the first one, they are more called the uh, traditional products or just for the front-end fermentation and the goal is to enhance that initial fermentation through the production of lactic acid. So they're also called that homoelactic inoculants because they're just going to produce lactic acid. That's a strong acid and will pickle everything you know, as fast as possible. Now, the other, let's say, class of inoculants, now they do contain a strain of bacteria that works on the front end, but also... There is another strain or strains of bacteria that will help increase the feed-out stability, usually through the production of acetic acid. And the most common strains of bacteria are strains of Lactobacillus buchneri. So they've been like, a, let's say, a milestone in terms of inoculant development.
0: So when you're talking about inoculant I think we get really excited about some of the benefits that you're mentioning, but I think it's important for producers to remember that there are some limitations. Like, what can't inoculant do, especially related to poor management?
1: Uh, Inoculant will not overcome or be an answer for poor management. Uh, I I know we cannot control everything, and sometimes we, we, we just need to pick our battles but uh, some of these, let's say, avoidable losses from poor management, they should be prevented. You know, for instance, things like not covering the silage pile or bunker or doing a poor packing job, excess soil contamination, uh, wrong design of the silo. So all, all there are, you know, examples of poor management. Things like, you know, sometimes we get caught with the elements or, and we cannot do anything about it.
0: Right. And a lot of those factors we did talk about when you were here and joining us in 2021. So thanks for that. So then can you tell me how effective is inoculant at reducing dry matter loss in fermented feeds?
1: Yeah. When we use a microbe inoculant, we are adding beneficial microbes for this process. So the result is always positive. So you're always going to look at a positive outcome because you're just adding bacteria that are specific for this process. And uh, this is like something I heard from, uh, from Rich Muck out of the forage lab when he was at USDA. You know, he said, you can always make a good fermentation better. You can always get more on dry matter and the nutrient recoveries. So in, in silence, it's, I, I see as cutting the potential losses as, you know, the most as possible and maintaining the original amount of nutrients and dry matter.
0: My mom would say, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear.
1: <laughs> and so
0: I think you could use that as an example. Yes, you know, if you are cutting at the wrong time, and yes, you have other management issues with tarping, covering, packing, all of those things, you know, we can't go back in time and correct those things. So I appreciate that.
1: Just, uh, just one example. Uh, I, I had a call not very long ago, and I had this issue with the poor packing job and high porosity inside the silage. And I mentioned about the Lactobacillus buchneri that could help with this stability. So the producer asks, well, if I use this type of inoculant, then I don't need to pack. I was like, no, it's not, it's not <laughs> what I said. <laughs> it's not like that. It's not
0: magic. <laughs> Very good. Now, when we talk about the dry matter loss. Some say that the difference in dry matter loss alone justifies the cost of the inoculant. Uh, What would you say about that?
1: Yeah, just like a follow-up on the previous question, you should expect a positive outcome. And of course, the magnitude of the response of inoculation will vary. You know, we have to think as silage is a unique and very complex environment. But when we, we try to come up with at least like an average number it range from like 4 to 5% on that front-end fermentation. So just for instance, uh, if we think of, just to make easier, $50 a ton of corn silage fresh, and we are saving 4%. So this is about $2 that you're saving. And we're just talking about shrink, just weight losses.
0: So basically pennies to make dollars.
1: Pretty much, yes.
0: And and you were saying, you know, that this is this can be complex. You know, there's so many variables to contend with. We've got the age of the crop, moisture content, growing and cutting conditions, uh, chop length, all of those things before it even gets into the pile. And then there's the face management as well. So I'm wondering, Renato, how do we determine what inoculant works best then for our own individual situations as producers?
1: Uh, Like a front-end product will always be beneficial. So this will be if it's a straight homoeletic product or a dual purpose. Now, if there is a challenge during the feed out, then this dual purpose product, is more adequate. And in specific situations, like there is a history of uh, heating in that farm, either on the silo phase or at the feed bunk or some more challenging situations during feedout, such as uh, you're moving or selling the silage, or to enhance the TMR stability. There's some of that stability that spills over the TMR. Or if there were some conditions during the growing phase of the crops, like uh, physical damage, uh, pest disease, any of these situations that will just allow more for mold infestation. And also in these type of situations, Uh, the the natural population of lactic acid bacteria is reduced. So then it's even more important to use a microbial inoculant.
0: Can you explain to me why is it important to get the pH down
1: quickly? Yeah, getting the pH down as soon as possible, you know, it goes back to the basics of, you know, food preservation like pickling, fermenting. And a a lot of folks, they like to do those things. You know, they prepare the brine and whatever vegetable they want to ferment or pickle. And one of the important things is like you have everything in the solution and you put away on the top so it's not in contact with with air. And uh, that low pH will pretty much stabilize everything that's being preserved. So the low pH, the acidic conditions will stop the detrimental microbes such as enterobacteria that's really active in the beginning of this insulin process, also clostridia and will help to shut down the plant's enzymes. So this is just like trying to preserve all those original nutrients and dry matter, as I mentioned.
0: Okay, so how can a microbial inoculant aid feed-out stability?
1: So uh, I've been talking about the front end, and we relate to the lactic acid production. So, you know, the homoelactic fermentation or lactic fermentation. Now, there's a little problem with the lactic acid that, you know, we really want at the beginning because it's such a strong acid, but lactic acid doesn't have very strong uh, antifungal properties. So we need some other type of compounds to inhibit, you know, the fungi, like the yeast and mold development. Now, we all know that propionic acid has been kind of like a standard when we talk about, you know, feed or TMR preservatives. But uh, acetic acid works just, just like protacid. And uh, some lactic acid bacteria, you know, like I mentioned, Lactobacillus bocnori, produce control amounts of acetic acid during the period of storage. And this acetic acid will delay the yeast activity when we open the silo and the silage is exposed to air. So we will control also the you know, potential heating, molding, And those issues with spoilage.
0: I don't want to eat anything that's been around or been moldy. (laughs) And so I don't think livestock, you know, they're going to turn up their noses at that as well. So that makes sense. So this is, it's very scientific when we talk to you and, you know, all of these reactions and what bacteria is good and what acid we need here, front end, back end. So this has been very informative, I think, to help us understand. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking if I was baking a cake and it called for eggs, but I left the eggs out of the batter, put it in the oven, I, adding the eggs in later is not, not going to work. My cake is going to be terrible. And so, you know, I, I think that's the aspect too, is you want to pair good management protocols and practices with every aspect of harvesting and then putting up that feed. You want to pair that then with some the inoculant on the front and the back end for its benefits, because it can take, it, like you said, if you have good feed, it helps the, feed, the good feed stay good for longer. That's not great grammar, but I think that that's how we can simplify it. So I don't know if we've talked about the specifics of using inoculant in a
1: silage pile. One thing that's important and sometimes, you know, people, they just focus so much on these dry matter losses or shrink is that we need to remember that, the, you know, the really good, highly digestible nutrients are lost first. So when you see all that spoilers in the silage, of course, you have less to feed the animals and of a much lower quality, all the really good stuff like Residual sugars, amino acids, organic acids—they'll be gone first. So you end up with a lot of more undigestible components. And in addition to that, we have all that undesirable microbial activity. Whatever mic- opportunistic microbe is there, you know, they'll be active. And the animal will ingest a high load of that microbe. For example, uh, classic example—it's a high load yeast you know, it's been shown research that will decrease fiber digestibility, will decrease animal intake, performance, and I don't even want to talk much about clostridia because then it's almost like a guaranteed disaster and you almost like convert something that you want to make milk and beef to a compost. Yes, and uh, one last thought that I had, it's about uh, silage safety. So, always you're the in Front of the silo, you try not to be, you know, near the face if there is an overhang. Be aware of your surroundings always with all the machinery going around. Always stop, look, and listen. And also be careful with the silo gas. So it's, it's sometimes you get complacent because we are there all the time, but working the farm, especially around silage, can be very dangerous.
0: What else would you like our listeners to know that I didn't ask you about?
1: Uh, I think it's. You know, in the end, you have to look at the history of your of the of the feedyard or the dairy farm and see what type of challenge. Also, how the growing season is to determine what type of inoculant to use. And as you said, and I couldn't agree more. It's inoculants they they are important, but they are a tool in the box. They're not a magical solution. So all these steps that you mentioned, you know, harvesting the crop at the adequate moisture stage of maturity, so we have like the best nutrients, digestible nutrients, and then just right uh, chop length, kernel processing, depending on the crop, and packing tight, sealing as fast as possible, and then doing some good feed-out management. All, all those steps, are important. So it's like the, it's, it's really like, like the recipe <laughs> if you if, if there's like something lacking in one of those steps, you'd be almost like a a, a domino fall effect.
0: Well, Dr. Renato, it's been. You're, you're a great resource for us as growers and livestock producers, so I really want to thank you you know, for being here and, and sharing this with us.
1: Thank you, Jill. The pleasure was all mine.
0: As well, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time with more guests and topics related to the current ag climate.